by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have John Wick, starring Keanu Reeves, Mikkel Nyquist, Alfie Allen, Adrian Pilecki, and Willem Dafoe, directed by Chad Stileski. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's a new week, and we are opening up a brand new cast, this one called the Baba Yaga Trilogy. And I'm excited to talk about uh, this series of films. We're doing a first for Rye Smile, you know, covering an entire franchise in its entirety, one right after the other. So uh, not only is it a new week, a new cast, but we got a new bourbon here. I picked this one up yesterday, Matt. This is the Hudson Baby Bourbon Whiskey uh, from New York, and let's let's pour us some and kind of kind of see what we get. It's supposed to be the one of the first bourbons ever distilled in the state of New York. Well, hand numbered bottle fourth out of thirty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got some rather. I think unique and and special bourbon we're trying here. So let me hit you. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, has a good smell. Nice amber, goldish color here. They give that. It's going to be hot going down, and you can tell. Here's to you. Here's to you. Oh, very smooth. Oh, it's really muted mm-hmm. and but complex. Nice taste. That's huh. It smells intense, but it goes down rather nicely. Mm-hmm. It almost tastes. This is going to sound weird. It almost tastes a little coastal. Hmm. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't even know. But it tastes. Do you know what I mean? Maybe maybe the scent is. Yeah. Exactly. Is coastal. Yeah, it's pretty good. Nice I like choice, I like Jesse. I like the design of that bottle too. Mm-hmm. They um they um they wax the top of their uh the, the top of their bottle like maker's mark. Oh, do they? So I was like, how the hell do I open this? But I was able to get it off. <laughs> so Well there's a will, there's a way. Exactly. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, since we're kind of going into the vein of intense action film trilogy, you know, kind of thought about you know building some flight and nightcap questions kind of built around this topic so our flight question for the week um pretty interesting just because we've gone through various different decades of what action is how it's defined and kind of the films that have stuck the landing with it so my flight question to you matt is what are your top three favorite action films of the 1980s talk about an impossible question Mm -hmm. 15 choices how do you choose exactly this one was several lists in sitting down, writing, scratching. Mm-hmm. This is tough. So if you ask me today, this is what I'm going to give you. Sure, I'll yeah. probably have three different ones tomorrow. Okay. Okay. But checking in at number three for me mm-hmm. is First Blood. Okay. Excellent. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the new version that's coming. Mm-hmm. Last Blood. Last Blood. I just thought when I saw that film the first time that it was pretty unique insofar as I hadn't seen violence done like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it tackled an issue that, although blown up in cinema in a big, garish way, mm-hmm. something that's not out of the realm of possibility, PTSD, essentially. Sure. Uh, one man against a nation, if you will. Okay. And I think Stallone is, I mean this, perfectly oh, cast in that definitely. film. Definitely. That, that, that I think they wanted, 
you know, various different actors for that. I think Steve McQueen at one point, but no, totally fits, you know, Stallone. And to kind of talk also about, uh, you know, action that's simple in its in its concept with today's film, that's just a story about a guy trying to walk from one end of the town to the other, get a bite to eat, and it just totally sets him off, like, because of the way he's treated. Simple. Yep. That's going to be a theme today. Mm-hmm. It's just a simple film yeah. executed really well. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're at your number three. My number three, uh, it's a film you've talked about in weeks past when we talked about Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three for me is actually Predator. Yeah, it was close for me too. Talk about high octane, testosterone driven action flick. I mean, like the muscles just pulsate from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Everyone's so oily in that film, but man, the gunfire, the villain that they're up against, uh, the insurmountable odds, the lines get to the chopper. Like, it's it's great. It's it's peak Schwarzenegger, like at the height of his powers. We say that a lot with an actor, but like late '80s Schwarzenegger, like damn. And that's just that's just a fun film. And Predators never been able to like take a slice of what made that first film great. Uh, yeah, I got to go. Predator, nineteen eighty-seven. There's not a bad moment in that movie. Mm, it's just it's fun. All the, the characters are unique. This stuff will turn you into a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus. You just see the body Ventura, Shane Black in his first appearance on screen. Yeah, and then he was kind of there to like script doctor. Yeah, well acting. Uh, yeah, very, very interesting. Cat uh, Carl Weathers, Sonny Landum. Yeah, Jesse uh, the Body Ventura. Yes, I love I love Predator. It's yeah, that's my number three action film. That one was as high as one for me mm-hmm. and as low as five. It didn't make the list today, mostly just because I've talked about it so much. It seemed to be mm-hmm. a little bit on the nose to hit it again. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something about that film. Okay. I think it's the perfect summer action movie. Oh. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad moment in there. It's not apologizing. It's not trying to draw outside of what it isn't. Look, that's 18 to 35-year-old demographic. Mm-hmm. Come see this. Just entertain me from beginning to end. And it was just okay in the space that it was in. Mm-hmm. There's enough steroids and <laughs> monsters to really make it cool. Plenty of steroids. And it's, But that's okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Who wants to... Like, I don't want to watch... Like the yoga instructor I'll never, I'll just, in an action film. Well, I'll never forget the scene when when uh, Schwarzenegger walks up to Carl Weather and, Dylan, you son of a bitch. And they like mid-air arm wrestle <laughs> and their biceps are just like gigantic. <laughs> Who's smoking a cigar, by the way? Yeah, I love it. Dutch. 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 Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay, great. Good choice. You're number two. Uh, speaking of Shane Black, okay. it's Lethal Weapon. Excellent. Of course it is Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon. What am I going to say about Lethal Weapon? Mm -hmm. Uh, In Reagan's America and the celebration of justice and the police force, a buddy movie that uses two opposites and puts them in the same thing to prevent L.A. from being overrun by drugs. There is corruption. There's great action sequences. The villain. Mr. Joshua. Yeah. (laughs) But as much as it's Gary Busey, it still works. I still dig it. Yeah. Um, I thought you said it really well last week when you were kind of giving me the log lines for Once Upon a Time in mm-hmm, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you put this one as one cop's trying to retire, the other's suicidal. They'll have to work together to stop this uh, villain in Los Angeles. Like, it's it's great. And, you know, that film's known for, you know, how Shane Black, you know, wrote that screenplay. Like, so for people that don't know, Shane Black was an, an unknown at that time. Mm-hmm. Spec and screenplays, ideas that weren't adapted from any source material, spec script, that's what that's called. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in there that breaks like one of the number one rules in screenwriting, which is don't B 
be crossing or don't break the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And he tells the reader of the script, mm-hmm. and I believe it's in the scene where the guy gets shot and falls in the pool and mm-hmm. they can't save him. Yes. Uh, you know, they drive up to this mansion, the kind of mansion that's going to like the, like the one I'm going to buy when I sell this script. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, is it Donner or Silver? Uh, both the, the silver Together, produced Donner directed. That's what sold the script. Was that, that line? That's awesome. <laughs> and welcome to Lethal Weapon, and welcome to Hollywood Shane Black. Mm-hmm. Super high concept. It's a good number two. Okay, go. Uh, number two for me is one you already mentioned. It's actually First Blood. I actually rewatched this about uh, two or three weeks ago, and I, I listened to all the commentaries and all the special features. Just a truly remarkable road to kind of get there. Uh, Kirk Douglas infamously turned down the role of Samuel Troutman, which was played by Richard Crenna because he wanted to be the hero of the film. So he kind of didn't get it. But it's based on a novel by David Morrell that's a little bit different in some parts. Like uh, Rambo actually is, is killed in the end. And there's even an alternate ending in First Blood where Rambo kills himself. But I think they realized the franchise possibilities with a character like John Rambo and where they could take that, that they couldn't possibly do that. I love First Blood. I've, there's towns I go to that are pretty mountainous like that. And I'm like, this is like the town in, in, in uh, First Blood. It looks like that, that like that mountainous, like kind of like Canadian town. I love it. It's, it's, it's my favorite of the franchise, actually. Me too. And it's a franchise that's actually still pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I bet uh-huh. we're going to have the same one for number one. So on the count of three, I'm going to go one, two, three, and we're both going to say what the movie is. I I bet you my right foot that we have the same movie. Okay. One, two, three. Die, Die hard. hard. Yeah. God, we have spent way too much time together. That is literally, yeah. as as much as we've talked about the other two, <laughs> Yeah. it's more perfect than either of the other two for me. Yeah. And I think, I think it <clears throat> is also another film that, kind of popularize that trend of just simple pitches like yeah. speed, it's die hard on a bus, executive decisions, die hard on an airplane, under siege, die hard on or die hard on a boat. You know what I mean? Like it became quick to kind of surmise what the film looked like because of how perfect this film is. Exactly. If you're the iconic staple that is referenced in other pitches, mm-hmm. you have ascended rarefied air. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we can go on and on and on about that. Essentially a fantastic villain, a perfect setting, and the odds being so stacked against the hero. But in every man type of hero, Bruce Willis is more interesting, I think, a little bit than Schwarzenegger and Stallone because he isn't like muscle bound. He's this receding hairline cop who's trying to save his marriage. I mean, there's a believability to the shit that he goes through in Die Hard. Yeah, exactly. You actually took the words out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. He's struggling with marriage issues, misses his family. Uh, yeah. Alexander Gudinov <laughs> is a terrific, as much as I kind of banged on Gary Busey, mm-hmm. he's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, a beautifully crafted mm-hmm. film. Yes. And I, also, you know what else it does? Yeah. Plays on the buddy movie mm-hmm. with opposites the same way that Lethal Weapon did. Yeah. The black and white thing, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, that's such an important role that's outlined going forward mm-hmm. in that buddy dynamic. Mm-hmm. I would argue, although 
a little bit differently done in seven. That's the that's sort of the the precursor sure. or the ambition to make that movie what it is, just a nineteen version Gen X heroin induced sort of state, mm-hmm. a little bit more gritty. Uh, and most of your cop buddy films, whether it be Training Day, yeah, or um, what's the one with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and oh, End um, of Watch, End of Watch, mm-hmm. they're all birthed from that film, yeah. I think Lethal Weapon helped start that trend, and I think Die Hard's just the slam dunk. Yeah. Like, like totally. We'll, we'll have to talk about Die Hard on the podcast one of these days. But the reason I picked the 80s for this first action bit, and maybe the flight questions for the next, we could do the 90s and then the 2000s. Mm-hmm. To me, action films changed in the 1980s. No question. Like, before then, it was real, like, Charles Bronson, Death Wish, Steve McQueen, uh, Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry, and, like, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, Bond. Something switched in the 80s. And I don't know exactly, like, what film, like, we can thank for that. Maybe it's the arrival of of Schwarzenegger, Conan the Barbarian. That's what you... God, man. You you and me spend way too much time together. I was going to tell you that's where it changes. It turns into... Muscle bound superhero mm-hmm. body type Schwarzenegger, yeah. and whether it be Commando or Conan, yeah, that's where it changed. Yeah, and so th- then you get like interesting stories with 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 interesting action heroes, and through that Bond evolved along with that, and we and then that just carried its way into the nineties. Was some of my favorite action films actually. The drugs got better. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. Yeah. The performance enhancing drugs mm-hmm. got better. And like earlier, I sort of offhandedly said, I don't want to see a yoga instructor because mm-hmm. they're all built like snakes. Yeah. Roger Moore, although I think I, it's weird we're talking about this because this is going to come up again later too. Yeah. Although I like Roger Moore's Bond. I know mm-hmm. he's not one of your favorites, yeah. but he's rather snakeish in his appearance. Yeah. Compare that to Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. In his little European swimming trunks, chiseled, yeah. ripped. Totally different. Way different bonds. Mm-hmm. And that body type, I think, fits the action mm-hmm. character a bit more. And even as much as Bruce Willis isn't, he is by no means a little dude in that movie. Either. Oh, yeah. I mean, in, that, in, his, in his wife beater, his tank. Yeah. You know, he's, he's been a, to the gym a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And it changed, didn't it? Definitely. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Doesn't it work better, though? I think so. I mean, we've got. Let's compare the French Connection mm-hmm. to Lethal Weapon. Yeah, it's it's, it's a totally different. I like the French Connection, Me too. but that's the different hero, and that's a different type of action yarn. Yes. So well ex- said, excellent. So to those five fantastic choices to the 1980s and action and excellent to this bourbon, which is actually this is pretty good. It is. I'm, good. I'm digging it right now. We are off to a good start this week. Well, excellent. Well, let's get to what we're here for. Let's get to happy hour time and our review breakdown of John Wick. John Wick starts out with something that I'm not a fan of, and I actually mentioned this, I believe, in the Pet Cemetery episode. Starting the film, you know, at the end, and just kind of alluding to me that this is where the character is going to end up. Whereas I would like to see the journey to get to the beaten, broken John Wick at the end. And kind of this teaser, because the scene that immediately follows this is this tragic-ish montage of meeting his wife, falling in love, her succumbing to cancer, I believe. Yeah. Well, we think. Yeah. 
And I think that's a really powerful just kind of like four or five minutes of him kind of dealing with grief and his morning routine, waking up at six o'clock with her her watch right there or that the, the bracelet. And we see him go through his sterile, almost monotone decor of his house. Like I always found the design of his house very interesting. It's a very singular personality because that's kind of all that's kind of what he is now without Helen, his wife. I want to ask you a question. Okay. This is just specifically to you. Mm-hmm. Especially in light of the Tarantino stuff that we finished last week and yeah. his proclivity to, to not tell the story in sequential manner. Sure. When is it that it becomes off-putting, like you mentioned at the beginning of this film, non-sequentially yeah. versus intriguing non-sequentially for you? Like, what's do you know what, what's the breaking point? I don't know. It's just... I can put the pieces together myself, mm-hmm. like, and I think I just like the road to get there versus kind of seeing the teaser of the road to get there. Another film that, that kind of did that to me, and I think it's a, a great film, is actually a horror film called Don't Breathe. And they yeah. kind of show you one of the finale sequences, the beginning of that too, and it, it really just kind of puts me off. It's almost like watching Alien and kind of like, seeing Ripley hiding from the alien in her, in her little underwear and then going back to like the beginning. Of, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, so as long as it's not maybe the end sequence at the beginning of the film, maybe yeah. you're okay with that. Cause yeah. I think that's, that's fair. Yeah. Why? Yeah. And I agree. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I've talked to you on mic and even off mic a million mm-hmm. times about why the strangers doesn't work for me. Yes. Cause they get into the house mm-hmm. to only sneak out of the house. They've already let the cat out of the bag. Exactly. And I know Wick's gonna gonna probably make it to the end, or maybe not. I don't know. This is the first time seeing this. Maybe he doesn't make it. I don't know what the plans are for this film. Violent as this film is, there's a good chance he might not. Yeah. So kind of seeing that kind of alludes to I think he's gonna make it now. You know what I mean? Yes. Versus kind of seeing the road to get to to that. Okay, it's interesting. I just wanted to get your take on that. Sure. Um, but I, I do love this little, this beautiful montage of of him and his wife and him dealing with grief and these funerals that... that the we, movie that Bridget Moynihan was almost in? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I also always wondered what happened to her. I mean, it was like the sum of all fears. Tom Brady kicked her to the curb. And had Tom it. Brady's baby. Doesn't Isn't she on one of the CSIs or something? I don't, I don't even know. I think, think she has a role on film. Does she? I think so. Yeah, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you were in this. But then we kind of see Pepper kind of this past life that John's have with um, the introduction of Willem Dafoe's character who very kindly comes to pay his respects at, at his funeral and kind of saying, you all right, John? <laughs> That's my Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I have another question that I wanted to ask you, and I'm glad you got to this already. Okay. Has Willem Dafoe had arguably... One of the most interesting selection of films that he's chosen to appear in Mm -hmm. in the history of cinema. And let me just give you two examples. That's an Academy Award winning actor. Not winning. Supporting. Nominated. Nominated. Platoon. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Platoon. And also the weird role that he played in that god awful um, Boondock Saints. I know most people love that. Oh, no. That fucking hate that that movie. That movie sucks. Okay. Norman Osborn. Mm -hmm. Vietnam. Um... Last Temptation of Christ? Last Temptation of Christ, this, all that weird shit he does with Lars von Trier, Aquaman, like, <laughs> yeah, it's all over the place. Is it? I don't... But I think he has... So, sir, yeah. Summarize Willem Dafoe 
for me from your point of view? I think it's a guy who likes to have fun with his film choices. Okay. He's a guy that can go be cerebral and brilliant in films like The Last Temptation of Christ and Platoon, but he can also ham it up like in Spider-Man and be kind of cold and serious like he is in this film. Like, he has a range, and it's that face, man. His face just chews the screen. I agree with you. I have two things on that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think he was someone with talent, was slated for A-list status, Mm -hmm. but didn't have the looks to go with it. Sure. And here's my question, third question for you in the first 20 minutes of the podcast. Okay. Who's a better actor, Willem Dafoe or John Malkovich? Because they're essentially the same guy, aren't they? If I had to pick and who I'd rather watch more, I'd pick Willem Dafoe. I think I would too. Yeah. Okay. There's a weird documentary that's on the Criterion Collection. It's called Fishing with John, John Lurie. Hmm. And one of the episodes, it's just about him grabbing like an actor like Matt Dillon or like Dennis Hopper and they go fishing. Kind of like cars with co- coffee with comedians. Yes. Not. Yeah. And one of them, he goes ice fishing with Willem Dafoe. <laughs> that kind of interesting. That kind of sounds kind of fun. Is he as strange in that as he seems to me to be on film? He's a little normal, but a little odd a little, too. He's yeah. a little normal. Yeah, like she's got, she's got a nice personality. Is she pretty? Well, she's really nice. Is yes. that that's ble- yeah. left-handed, backhanded compliment? Yeah. Here to Willem Dafoe. Yeah, to Willem Dafoe. And his impishness. Impish. Why is he so impish? I, don't know. I love it. All right, keep going. Excellent. All so right. you know, we kind of get this, and after the aftermath of the funeral, John's gifted kind of a last parting gift by his wife, Helen, which is this beagle puppy named Daisy, which he kind of seems a little standoffish to it at first, but when he kind of sees the letter and like, I gave this to you to help help you through this time and what I have is incurable and, you know, I still love you. And that's so tragic, like him and he, he, he loses it. And I mean, Keanu Reeves is good in this film and... He's been bad in some films, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. But when he has a character to play with that you can kind of get behind, and I think he's when he has to like say little, like I think you see a lot in his facial emotions. Real stoic type of performance. I think you really feel the heartbreak that he, he feels in this moment here. Let me tell you a little bit about my interpretation of, of Keanu Reeves. A fantastic follow on Twitter, by the way, mm-hmm. for anybody that uh, is into that, which is probably all of our listeners. Check him out. He really is worth your time. Mm-hmm. I actually think he's really smart. No, oh, yeah. But what has happened to Keanu Reeves is he has become such a character of himself, A, for Bill and Ted, yeah. because that was eh, awesome dude kind of yeah. thing. And then, what do you do? Like yeah. the pantameter to with which he speaks mm-hmm. to create gravity. Yeah. He, for about 10 years... Can I do one real quick? Go. I am an FBI agent. <laughs> okay, so you... But you mentioned Point Break. That just missed my top three. Yeah. The f- movie is superb. Mm-hmm. So, Speed. Okay, we can go back and forth on... Um, the, the Matrix. The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Point Break. Bill and Ted. Like This has been an outstanding career in Hollywood that yeah. essentially has been forgotten mm-hmm. for about 10 years. And you know what the entry point for him back into this was? Mm. 47 Ronin. Mm -hmm. A movie that I think is crucified unmercifully and unfairly for what that was supposed to be. I just don't think a lot of people have seen it either. You know what I mean? Directed by Ridley Scott's son, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe his... No, it's maybe his his cinematographer. Someone who has ties to Ridley Scott did that film. But Keanu Reeves... Look, I don't think he's ever going to be the leading guy in some rot drama. Yeah. He's not that guy. Mm-mm. And they've tried it. A Walk in the Clouds, which is a movie to forget. 
Um, what was that one? Uh, Sweet November or Sweet November with Winona Ryder? What the hell's that one with the 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 mailbox, <laughs> the time machine? Mailbox. Oh yeah, with Sandra Bullock, the Lake House, the Lake House. He <laughs> and Christian Slater both kind of rose at the same time, and I think have a def- like a definite niche. Yeah, Christian Slater for his B minus Jack Nicholson impersonations mm-hmm. and like yeah, but. I think, but still capable. Yeah. And if anybody saw the first season of iRobot, also really good in that film. Yeah. And I get uh, that's where I stopped, but he was yeah. good in it. Yeah. I just think Keanu Reeves has had a really unfair hand that he's been dealt because he made a couple of bad film choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad that he's back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can question some of the choices that he made in film. Yeah. But what you said is exactly right. Mm-hmm. When he says less. Yeah. He does a really good job. Yeah, it's a lot more. Because it's here in his face. Mm-hmm. I think he's just a good dude, too. There's a, oh, there's a story no I, question. I, I read. I just want to share real quick, and we'll get back on track. But for doing the two Matrix sequels, I think he took home like something like mm-hmm. upwards of like $300 million paycheck with royalties and all that. Like a shit ton of money. This is such a good story. And he like went to all the v- VFX stunt people, the people that like costume people that helped make him Neo in those films. And he paid each one of them a million dollars. Out of his own pocket. Yeah. Like he's an, that's what I'm saying. Follow him on Twitter. He's yeah. an, like, I know Dogstar is whatever that band was. Mm-hmm. But I also can give him credit for having the stones mm-hmm. to walk away to try something different mm-hmm. at literally here it is again at the height of his powers. Yeah. Man, to to Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. God bless you, brother. I think brother. he has a little bit too of that Sylvester Stallone complex where they kind of come off as a bit of oofish or like a little stupid, like just without in, recognizing that that isn't how he is in real life, and that's quite an art. Yeah. Like, yes, they're really kind of smart in like some of the things that they do and like the way they kind of uh, portray it. Like, and they're good people at the same time. Let's coin that right now or hashtag that right now on this podcast yeah. as the Rocky effect. Yeah. The playing an oaf on screen, mm-hmm. which is talent versus being that guy in real life. Because Bill or yeah. Ted, whichever one he is, mm-hmm. is Rocky to Stallone's yeah. Rocky. It's, it's totally the same thing. And you add Neo to that mm-hmm. and then you add whatever character he is in Speed. Mm-hmm. That's not how he is in real life. Oh, no, yeah. Not at all. You have to remember that. Yeah. Can I give you one more thing and then we'll get back to the story? Go ahead. I'm also going to put another person in this category. There's a movie that you and I both love that I hope someday we'll get to do on this called okay. The Place in the Sun. Mm-hmm. Montgomery Clift, Ooh. Elizabeth Taylor, and Shelley Winters. Yeah. Shelley Winters plays, in my opinion, next to Piper Laurie in The Hustler, the second best supporting female in mm-hmm. the history of cinema in that movie. Yeah. Shelley Winters is a supremely talented actress, but you watch that movie mm-hmm. and you end up hating her for doing absolutely nothing wrong other than the effect that she causes on the audience mm-hmm. to the audience on screen. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. As Alice Tripp, mm-hmm. for all of you that are out there that are listening to this, the next time you have a couple hours and don't know what to do with it, please burn through A Place in the Sun. Yeah. It is well, it will change your life. I, I kid you not. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so back to the story. Excellent. Story. Wow, we got John Malkovich, <laughs> well, Willem well, Dafoe, Keanu Reeves, she- Shelley Winters, Winters. Yeah, who's next? Joan Crawford? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Excellent. So um, he takes a, a shine to Daisy and they kind of have like a nice little kind of like little relationship and you're like, yeah, I'm digging this, but of course it's all going to go astray and... He's going to put gas in his very beautiful 1969 Ford Mustang Mach 1 mm. mint. 
is what it is. And uh, these um, Russian gangsters roll up on him. Uh, 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 one played by Joseph, played by Alfie Allen, who yeah. you remember from Game of Thrones. Yep. But uh, he kind of says, how much for the car? And he says, it's not for sale. And he's like, you got a nice dog there. And so he kind of leaves kind of thinking nothing of it. And they're woken up in the middle of the night by this home invasion of these Russian fuckers, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Beat John to shit. Killed the dog. It, it's such a hard scene to watch. You know, me being, both of us being, you know, dog people. Good God. Like, I almost have to look away when... When poor Daisy meets her demise, but well, and then you forgot the other part too. Yeah, steal his rig. They steal the car. So yeah, can you do like? Can you fuck with a man more yeah. than by killing his dog yeah. and then stealing his rig? Yeah, <sighs> so it's on. Yeah, literally, as the film progresses and like, and we, we watched this last night, my wife and I, and as he's like just going through the endless like henchmen in that nightclub scene oh, yeah. i'm just thinking i was like you see this is just because they killed his dog and stole his car you know what i mean kind of speaking to um uh, the first blood effect okay so a yeah. very simple premise that sets an individual off on a on just like a, a war path in light of what we reviewed the last couple weeks mm-hmm. rather not rather complex stories yes. mm-hmm. character driven whatever the heck Inglorious and once upon a time in agreement and disagreement for both of us were the last. No one's going to argue that those are complex stories. Yes. Jesse, John Wick is a movie about. Yeah. Revenge. Yeah, revenge. One simple, basic idea, super high concept. And now what's going to drive the success or failure of this film mm-hmm. is the execution of that. Compare that. I This happened to me a lot this week. Yeah. Compare that to what we did last week and ask yourself. <laughs> What's the driving premise in that and how is it executed? And you will have a hot mess on your hands. Doesn't mean it can't be done well. Mm -hmm. They do those films well sometimes. Mm -hmm. But John Wick is a movie about revenge. And then how is it executed in a really unique world? And you already started it. You said he has a very single man dwelling. What we start to see right away in John Wick's story Mm -hmm. is what the world is that he lives in yeah and it's not like you or i going to the post office and you know work and it's not that world is Mm -hmm. it no and it's uh and this element is something they bring up they say it and i I like how they do the subtitles in this series like Mm -hmm. like the word like the like the the power words are in like bold color. What almost chapters it for you, let you like mm-hmm. almost book bookmarks it with chapters. Yeah, like the phrases of like boogeyman and puppy, like are like emboldened, like they're important terms. And uh, our our villain Vigo uh, brings up brings up you know, like it was just a puppy is, and then um Joseph, uh, Joseph later said it was just a puppy. Like they bring that up a lot. And John keeps having to say it wasn't just a puppy. You know what I mean? So we come to find out in the world that John Wick lives. There's a Russian gangster that's also part of that world. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that his stupid son, played by Alfie Allen, the the, the Yosef mm-hmm. character, is the guy that kills John. Well, he leads the group of Russian yeah. fuckers that you talked about. Mm-hmm. But he's the guy that steals John's car and kills his dog. Yes. And there's a chance meeting at a gas station mm-hmm. where they find his car. Yeah. And John's a little dismissive, but only because Yosef is such a cock to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, it, you know, plays out the way that that plays out. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just so happens that he is uh, these names for me, Vigo's son. Yeah. So Vigo calls John, mm-hmm. pleading. Be- well, real quick, they have a past. You know, John oh, is yeah. 
an assassin was this assassin for hire in this world that we're going to talk about but he did like one last job for for um vigo for vigo which was to kind of like take out these people these assassinations so that this family could like assume to some type of power and then john was going to go retire to go get married and go fall in love and you're right. He calls him to kind of plead. Can can I? We're both professionals. We're both gentlemen. Please, let's not go down this road. You know what's great about that scene too is that like, John doesn't say a damn thing. He's just silent and he just hangs up the phone. And that's like, that's enough for him to realize, oh shit. Like, well, this is just further evidence of what you said a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. When he's not talking, he's as effective as when he is talking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like a compliment. Because it sounds like you're terrible at delivering dialogue, mm-hmm. but that's not what I mean. Though. It's in body language too. It's in how you command the 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 scene. So not saying something's just as powerful as saying, "You motherfucker, I'm going to come and I'm going to kill you and your whole family." I'm going to call Keanu Reeves. Yeah, Rainbow. You know why? Because mm-hmm. he's stone cold, <laughs> and he does yes. it really well. Like you know, there's no question where he is yeah. in that scene. Of course, they killed his dog, and most people just don't get over that, especially after they steal your rig. Especially if the dog mm-hmm. was the parting gift at your wife's deathbed. Yeah, but salt on the wound. Yeah. Here it's it's on, and here's what I like about the the sequences that follow this. So we've seen John um, a couple times wake up at six o'clock, and he has his morning routine in his cold, isolated, sterile world. The next day, he gets up, and I think it's like six nineteen. He's overslept. His routine's like thrown off by oh. this crazy incident. So he goes to uh, his chop shop friend, um, played by John Luis Amo, and he. Uh, is an acquaintance of John in this uh, assassin world that we're going to come to know. But Alfie Allen, Yosef, has tried to come sell the car over here. And he says, whose car is that? Where did you get that? And he says, you just stole John Wick's car. So that's kind of what sets this whole thing, this whole, you just like, you should have let sleeping dogs lie and you've just set something upon you that you don't want. I think John Leguizamo's name in this is Aurelio. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yosef shows up and he says, where'd you get this car? Mm -hmm. Because they basically are going to cut it up and sell it for parts. And he realizes, oh man, you have just messed with the Baba Yaga. Yeah. And what's cool about it, Mm -hmm. that maybe we're 30, 25, 30 minutes in this film, Mm -hmm. is there's already this feeling of, oh man, you crossed the wrong guy from several different characters, except for this Yosef, Mm -hmm. Alfie Allen. And I think the joy that comes in the, uh, subsequent scenes is just how truly badass he is with his gun, foo, martial arts, like even his even his suit. Yes, and I just want to speak on that uh, really quickly. Uh, Chad Stileski and David uh, uh, Kitch, who um, directed this film, were actually um, Keanu Reeves' like stunt doubles on the Matrix films. No kidding. Yes. So when this script uh, kind of came about by Derek Colstead, they got Keanu on board and they, t- they they tweaked the script and tried to get things up and he contacted them hoping they would do the fight choreography and um, he was like, he's like, you know what? You guys might actually be pretty good to direct this thing too. So they, uh, they co-directed it and, you know, uh, David, K- he actually, um, this is like, he directed Hobbs and Shaw. That's, that's uh, not David Ketch, David Leach. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then they went and they did Atomic Blonde. So they, 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 he kind of helped like help them get into directing these kind of action pieces. Which goes back to the story that you said earlier is remember where you got to where you got and uh-huh. recognize talent and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. God, to, again, to Keanu Reeves, man. Yeah. Seriously. Think Good we'll, choice. I think we'll be cheersing him a lot in this cast. No kidding. But I think that that, that choreography that they bring to this film is actually why a lot of these action pieces stand out is you know they have a experience with you know staging action so man john wick like when when they come to his house that first time the um um uh, vigo sends like seven or eight guys it's not enough he just makes <laughs> no. I, I, honestly in this entire franchise it's never enough <laughs> right. for anybody but he just makes mincemeat of them and he's a character straight out of a video game like he is so precise in his headshots hitman mm-hmm. um so a lot of the people are killed by headshots, but where you start to, where I start to see part of the brilliance of John Wick is in the sequence where he takes the knife and uses it against the guy trying to kill him with the knife yes. in the hallway. Mm-hmm. It is so choreographed, and you can see him moving and manipulating the bad guy's limbs against him and gaining positions of leverage mm-hmm. to use the knife, and then to finally finish him off where he sort of hammers it in yeah, a couple using times. his his own fist as the mallet. Mm-hmm. Man, it's just brilliantly choreographed. And one thing I will argue about this film till till the cows come home, whether you like them or not, you cannot argue. Mm-hmm. And I will give you the final sequence in Parabellum, mm-hmm. which we're going to get to in a few weeks. I have, I have thoughts on that sequence, too. It is. I think it's perfectly done. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll get to that another day. Yeah. You're starting to see the beginning of that right here. Definitely. He just knows how to move people. Was an associate of ours. We called him Baba Yaga. The boogeyman? Well, John wasn't exactly the boogeyman. He was the one you sent to kill the fucking boogeyman. Okay, Matt, so let's talk about this assassin's world that John Wick inhabits because if you ask me, this might be. Maybe the crowning jewel of this first film is just kind of like how subtly they like kind of build this this world that you secretly want to know more about. Everything from like the gold coin currency that they deal that like like calls in. So after his like crazy action bit in his house, he's on the phone to make a dinner reservation. In comes this assassin's cleaning crew. Cleanup crew. Yeah. He pays them, and and they're they're able to take the bodies away, and it's no questions asked kind of a thing. And paid for with these gold coins, Mm -hmm. who at this point, or which at this point we've seen him have an abundance of. Yes. After he decides he's going to get back in the assassin's world, he goes through, I think, what's a really cool sequence where he takes a sledgehammer, Mm. which just looks like a concrete floor. Yes. And breaks it up to pull out his chest of weapons, and inside it are multiple guns and lots of stacks of these gold doubloons or coins. Mm-hmm. In this world, yeah. these coins represent currency or privilege to allow you or favors act- from other people involved and in this world. And even access, like it's how he gets into like the underground like club, assassins club of the continental. So you don't pay in cash. No, yeah. You pay in this assassins, but this can also as we find out later this can buy you life. It can buy you time. There's things that these gold coins represent, and they are markedly valuable. Exactly. So the cleanup crew comes in, and he gives the the leader, who we'll see later again, 
the cleanup crew like eight or nine coins and we're off. And then we get to the second thing that you just mentioned, which yes. is where he's going to choose to seek out Vigo and Yosef, mm-hmm. which is the Continental. Mm-hmm. Um, a club? Like a hotel? It's a hotel. And I, I maybe I'm not clear on this. Do like regular people also stay in the hotel or it's just this assassin hotel, right? Right. The guy that runs the hotel is named Sharon. It's Lance Reddick. Oh, he's like the concierge. Concierge. Yeah. You check in, and I think the rules, although we haven't established them fully yet, yeah. are that this is like a safe zone. Yes. Uh, no fighting or killing allowed on the premises, which comes to play in the coming films. This is one of the parts of this movie that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. and that's... <laughs> The wildly diverse characters. Mm-hmm. This concierge that runs a hotel, mm-hmm. safe place for assassins, mm-hmm. is the calmest, kindest, most polite person yeah. that you've ever met. And it's where these terrible people are living. Yes. So John Wick checks in, <laughs> and there's obviously a familiarity. And then we get another really cool character a couple moments later, which mm-hmm. is Ian McShane. Yeah, Winston. Ian McShane is in this film. <laughs> yeah, Deadwood. That's awesome. Yeah. So he kind of is, in lack of a better term, the patriarch of this Assassin's Guild. Yes. And he and Bobby Yaka, John Wick, have mm-hmm. a discussion about, are you getting back into the game? Yeah. And Ian McShane sort of looks at him like, you got what no one else gets, and that's a chance to get out. Yep. Why in the hell... Why are you back in? Are you back in? Yeah. And John, in a very John Wickish way, doesn't really have a lot to say to that. He's just like, where is he? Mm-hmm. Help me find... The guy that killed my dog. Yeah. Let me do that first. Yeah, we got Assassin Cleaning Crew. We got Assassin Hotel. We have Assassin Club. Like, they got everything. Like, there's probably an Assassin Trader Joe's, too, where they go shop for their groceries. Well, do you remember last (laughs) week we talked about, with high conceptedness, Mm -hmm. one of the things is a unique job or world. Yeah. Well, we talked about this in the Ghostbusters episode. Like, the world-building aspect of this ghost-catching paranormal business. Like, a lot of that's at play here. Yeah, Ghostbusters, up in the air, to extent Harry Potter, where you are introduced to a world that you're unfamiliar with. And that's interesting because Mm -hmm. what you do with, like, what's happening when the story isn't driving the action is you're watching the things in that world. And each one of those has meaning and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um I think I think in this the, has it in spades. I think in the subsequent films they take that idea and kind of run with it. Yeah, and I think a little too much in some areas. I I like it in this film because it is so mysterious. Like we're flies on a wall getting a glimpse into this world that only few people get to see, and I, I like that. I like I really like they have their own doctor on call. Like yeah. he comes and stitches them up after like all their beatings and everything. Yep. Uh, but yeah, like we come to see the Continental and uh, uh, Winston, the concierge, a little more in, in the subsequent films. Like um, this is kind of a little all we kind of get to see of them for for this first go round. Yeah, well, we get the secret handshake or the secret knock, and we get to be allowed into yeah. the previously unaccessible club, mm-hmm. and that's pretty awesome because once you've created that for the audience, then what the next thing you need to do is make sure that it plays out to some affect that matters in the film. Mm -hmm. And boy, doesn't it in this movie. Mm -hmm. So upon the grounds of the Continental, no one can kill each other. And you know what sort of rules that 
mm-hmm. is a code of honor. Exactly. Honor among thieves mm-hmm. or assassins. One of the other things I like about this first John Wick entry mm-hmm. is like the slate of villains that we have. Not only yeah. do we have this bastard Yosef and his father that's very willing to give him up to save his skin. Yeah. But we also have uh, Perkins, uh, played by Adrian Pilecki, who's kind of this other assassin for hire. And we kind of get a glimpse into these different, like, kind of avenues of, like, how they operate. And they've had a past before that seems pretty cordial, but not later when she's trying to kill him in his hotel room. I almost feel like at some point there's a history between these two that's romantic. And unsaid. And I like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's real subtle, and I don't need to be told everything in a film but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of get what you're seeing. Like, when they're kind of smashing each other on all the glass and furniture in his room, you kind of get, like, maybe there was something there in the past. You know what I mean? It's where there's almost a double entendre yes. through their action, huh? Yes, definitely. Like, superiority and mm-hmm. um, superior and anterior positioning. And, mm-hmm. again, back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Speaks to the choreography mm-hmm. of how well that scene and this, this franchise is crafted. I think you need a refill. Let me hit yeah, you up. Here, hit me up. Well, let's kind of get to probably one of our big main action set pieces of the film, which is he's tracked Yosef down to this, they call it the Bauhaus, this bathhouse, uh, and then this nightclub. And something interesting about this sequence that I, I found out in my research that, again, <laughs> cheersing Keanu Reeves, not only did he have the flu, but he had like 104 to 105 fever during the filming of this sequence. And he still did it. And it looks badass. You know what I mean? Like, I have the flu 104 fever like I did in February. And I'm like laid up in bed. Like, Matt, I can't even do the podcast this week. Uh, I sound like Harvey Firestein. You know what I, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, like he, he's over there kicking everyone's ass. Like, it's a true Okay, raise him up. We've never done multiple cheers in the same three so okay. far. But I'm going to give you a fourth one right now. Because okay. we're on the We Love Keanu sound. Mm-hmm. Um, bandwagon yeah i'm not sure what line it is that's the iconic line in bill and ted it's amazing or mm-hmm. um tubular or like whatever line that is but he's filming bill and ted two now three okay i'm sorry three mm-hmm. you're right and as he's going through the neighborhood one of the people that's in the neighborhood where it's being shot put mm-hmm. a sign in their front yard mm-hmm. that had that saying amazing or tubular mm-hmm. or whatever the hell or it excellent it's excellent excellent there you go thank <laughs> excellent. you excellent <laughs> he sees it mm-hmm. he stops at their house Rings our doorbell, goes and introduces himself, and then blasts it all over with pictures, just like Keanu being Keanu as Bill or Ted, whoever the hell he is, yeah. with this family that appreciated him. Like, here's what I love about him. Yeah. He doesn't forget where he came from. No, he... And he's willing to acknowledge it. And how many people in Hollywood, no. other than Hugh Jackman yeah. and maybe The Rock, mm-hmm. will do that? Yeah. Not few. If any. Russell Crowe ain't going to do that. Oh, Russell Crowe's going to throw a fucking phone at you. He'll fight you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Bruce no. Willis, to get to that, you have to listen to his bullshit blues guitar shit. Oh, so. good God. And he'll make you watch Hudson Hawk at the same time. I just, man, I just think no, that's so, no, he's just like a guy. He's just a real guy. And there's something to that. I mean, there's a lot of mysticism about Hollywood and the unapproachability of, like, fame and fortune. But he sheds all of that. Like, I, I, I think also, I don't think he owns a vehicle. I think he lives in New York and right. he, he subways with regular people every day. Because he believes yeah. in a cleaner earth. So instead of flying to a climate change conference in your personal jet, yeah. he actually lives his values. To that four in one episode. Yeah. I'm calling a moratorium on that though. No more. <laughs> okay. No more. No more. Okay. No okay. More. okay. All right. 
But we get this great action bit where he finally like has him in his sights and we get a, a bit of a fisticuffs and a chase at this moment. Fisticuffs. But we get this great scene in the barn is what I was talking about earlier. It's just like, boom, headshot, boom, this, boom, assassination, boom, with the knife. He's just so efficient in ah. his way about him that he's like, he's like a musician. He's like Beethoven or Mozart and he's just really intricate and his instrument in this film is just a gun and, and his fist and a knife like i can't say it any better than that yeah it's beautifully stated so keep going okay so we kind of get that and then we get the little bit which i mentioned earlier with perkins this kind of uh, uh battle there but William adrian the, pilecki yeah do you know her from anything else? i, I think she was in the gi joe movie that's what i Channing think too Tatum. scarlet Scarlet, yeah, whatever and she's name. been in a few other things. I think that name, I think, has been in things, and I, I, I think I'm getting her confused for somebody else, uh, like um, Pilecki, though, right? Yeah, Pilecki. I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, but uh, we get uh, she's uh, Wick is saved in this moment by Willem Dafoe, who's kind of alerted him through his sniper fire, who he's been contracted by Vigo to. I'm going to give you yeah, two million. It's an open contract. You know him best. Like, go take care of him for me. Mm -hmm. He has the opportunity to totally take him out there. Misses on purpose to kind of let him know, you got someone in your room, John. You need to take care of that. And and I kind of like that. You know, we kind of go through multiple different phases with Willem Dafoe where we kind of think he might turn on John and maybe go for the money. But at the end of the day, he sticks to his values, too, to kind of, like, be an asset for him. Like, kind of like eyes above. So as much as in the Continental, there's this honor among assassins creed that they live by. Mm-hmm. They all seem very quickly and capably able to break it when the price is right. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what an assassin is? Yes. So we see the Continental, and here's the safe space, and Ian McShane, and the the guy that's the concierge that uh, what I forget what his name is now mm-hmm. that run it. But yet everybody around them yeah. breaks it all the time. Yeah. And this Adrian Pilecki is no different. That's an interesting fight sequence. Okay, so we go through the bathhouse, and he kills pretty much all of um, Yosef's helpers. Yes. He escapes semi-naked in a limo, calls his dad, daddy help me, yada yada. And then we kind of get a break from that story back to the Continental for John to regroup, mm-hmm. only to be met by Adrian Pilecki. Mm-hmm. And that's that fight sequence that we were talking about that plays with superior and anterior positioning and all the, the, the choreography in there that... Is a double entendre. He can kill her. Mm -hmm. And this is the part that really leads me to believe that they were a couple. He chooses not to. Mm -hmm. And he's got to know that she isn't going to stop. Mm -hmm. So we get here another juxtaposition or interplay of those coins. His next door roommate, Clark Peters, who plays a guy named Harry, Mm -hmm. who's also an assassin. Yeah. Peeks out and he's like, John, is everything okay? He's like, yeah. Just- I, I love the kind of off-the-cuff banter that he has with these characters. Like, they, they have a, the, the scene with the cop earlier. He's like, hey, John, are you working? He's like, yeah, just sorting some stuff out. He's like, okay, we'll, we'll leave you to it. And there's obviously bodies on the floor. He sees them. And then the, the scene here, like, hey, Harry, how's it going? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, j- just here. Like, it's like normal kind of like office banter. But their office is like an assassin world. <laughs> yeah, like where there might be like mail on your desk that you need to go through this is this is the water the water cooler talk right yeah so he flips harry a coin after he's subdued uh perkins Mm -hmm. and says keep an eye on her for me yeah and he because that coin matters yep so he takes harry takes the coin puts Mm -hmm. in his pocket and then brings perkins in his room yeah to keep an eye on her now obviously 
sadly to Harry's face. Yeah. She's going to escape and God suffocate him and then shoot his face off. <laughs> yes. Um, but again, you're getting, oh man, mm-hmm. that's those coins. So not only are you using that for the cleanup crew, but it's also how you curry favor with your colleagues. There's got to be more to these coins. And I actually want to know what they represent and how, what they're about. Val- like now I'm interested in coins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, that's so subtle mm-hmm. and so small, but so smartly done because I'm interested in Continental. Certainly the action sequences have kept my attention. Mm-hmm. The lack of emotion in Keanu Reeves, other than I'm pissed off about my dog in my car. Yeah. Like, they have so many points of entry of interest for me, and these coins are just furthering that. And I think the number one thing still driving the story is this revenge yarn driven by John Wick. It's a very, you know, the directors and the writers were all influenced by films like Death Wish and yeah. Old Boy, this, that Korean revenge cinema. Did you that, see the remake, the Spike Lee remake? Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Um, but the original's amazing. Awesome, right? But this revenge cinema that, like, they're dealt, like, such a horrific card. And we get to visually see that. And it may be uncomfortable, John Wick's dog getting killed. But, man, is the revenge mm-hmm. oh so sweet when he finally gets that that moment to kind of, you know, get even. Can I tell you something personal yeah. about this? Yeah. With the death of that dog, we've mm-hmm. talked about it a few times. When I was raised in the screenwriting world, I was taught there were a couple rules that you can't break. Number one, you can't clone Jesus. Yes. Because it's been done a million times. <laughs> yeah. Like, stay away from that. Yeah. Number two, the end of the movie can't be, it was all a dream. Yep. Unless you do Inception. Yeah. Um, so for all the times that there are these rules, they only exist until someone finds a way Except- to break it cool. An exception to the rule. Right. And there's usually one of those. And then this three and four, really just like three A and B. Yeah. You can't, in a movie, uh-huh. kill a dog yeah. or a baby. Yeah. Unless you are really, because you're, you're taking the audience and you are putting them on notice. Mm-hmm. And so in this film, not even a full grown dog, yeah. but a still semi grown dog, puppy ish, yeah. as the gift from his wife that mm-hmm. gets whacked in the first 20 minutes. Yes. At that point, I thought to myself, man, if they're willing to kill the dog, I don't necessarily know mm-hmm. if John Wick is going to survive. Because if they'll dispose of this dog, yeah. then. All rules and regulations have gone out the window. And for me personally, that works in juxtaposition or in context or correlation with the rules that are consistently broken in the continental. I think uh, it sets a tone too. It sets a tone that all bets are off. There's another sequence in another film by John Carpenter, Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah. Where uh, this little girl's going to get ice cream at a car, five or six. Mm-hmm. And they kill her. They shoot her and kill her at this ice cream truck. De Palma and the Untouchables. Yeah, like it's really, it's very taboo to go into those subjects. And it makes people feel very uncomfortable. But boy, does it set a tone for your film. It has a feeling. It has a weight to it. And the reason for that, that, that those are no-nos, especially the dog and the baby or, yeah. ch- or young child, mm-hmm. kid, mm-hmm. is... It's so off-putting for the audience that Mm -hmm. you lose them. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you can't get them back. Oh, yeah. And it's also why it takes so goddamn long in Rosemary's Baby to get anywhere. Because if that happens initially, then the rest of the movie's shot. (laughs) We we should do Rosemary's Baby someday. We talk about it so much. Yeah. You know, we should do that. And we should do um, Hereditary and maybe Midsummer together. Mm -hmm. That would be interesting. But anyway, that's a story for another day. There you go. 
if you do that, the audience is so off put or taken aback by that mm-hmm. that they you lose them. Mm-hmm. And how do you get them back? Because I, I just, I mean, that speaks to what it is. And, and I gotta just talk to the, like just my film sensibilities. I kind of like when films do that to me because I've seen so much mm-hmm. and I've seen so much of you gotta tie the bow at the end and we gotta live happily ever after and we gotta be comfortable throughout. That when something happens like this that totally throws all that off kilter, I think I'm more interested because we're going into a arena or area that's very taboo and we don't get to play in this part of the field very often. You're not safe. Yes. I don't want to be safe. Yeah. How good's your laundry? I'm sorry to say that no one's that good. No, I thought not. May I suggest a drink, son? Bourbon, perhaps. That sounds perfect. So John makes a play at uh, Vigo's finances, his his kind of his wealth at this this church, and it kind of puts Vigo on blast. And he comes, and we get another kind of battle. But you know, John's kind of like kind of caught off guard. He's hit by that SUV. That's got that had to hurt like hell. And they kind of had that moment and in, in in this um, kind of renovated part, I think, of a church, of the church. Yeah. And it's kind of the one time we see Keanu Reeves, John Wick, uh, kind of really lose it where he kind of says, you know, everyone keeps asking me if I'm back. He's like, yeah, I think I'm back. And like, you know, if you don't give me your kid, like, I'm going to kill everyone. He just kind of loses it a little bit. And off Vigo scampers and John Wick's able to, to get away with help from Willem Dafoe again, like... Just kind of that 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 angel watching from the sky, as poetic as that sounds. It's kind of what he is. Yeah, he shows up at that church, begins to wipe everybody out. Then they kind of get the one up on him, mm-hmm. and he's essentially handcuffed to a chair with a paper bat or a plastic bag over his head. Yes. You know, time wise, I don't think we probably think this is the end for John Wick. And then also to what you said earlier, we mm-hmm. do see him kind of on the side of the road with holding his side with yeah. some sort of wound, which hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So we know we have to get to that. Uh, but it's pretty close yeah. to being done in. Mm-hmm. Here's the really interesting thing, though. In this world where relationships between assassins is tenuous and any of them can be bastardized for the right price, mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe doesn't seem to be for sale mm-hmm. in regards to what he'd give up regarding his own loyalty to John Wick. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's also really cool. So maybe not all of these assassins are bastards. Or maybe that's the difference between the assassins we don't like yeah. versus the assassins we do like. There's like an uh, unspoken honor code system between between all of them. And then another real kind of just eloquent thing in this moment, too, in this whole sequence, Keanu Reeves has kind of ditched the white undershirt and tie for this black turtleneck. And he looks very priestly. With this getup, like yeah, it's regal, very regal, yeah, yeah. But it's a different type of type of look for the assassin, and it's interesting that it's kind of all taking place on the grounds of this this church and everything. Well, you just said it again. There yeah. it is. A world we're not familiar with executed in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah. So you know, he he kind of gets uh, out, um, gets Vigo, says, "I'm gonna kill you unless you tell me your son is." So. Uh, Vigo very cowardly gives him the location of the sun in uh, agreement that this ends after that. Right. right. You're done. 
Uh, so he, and John Wick agrees to that. He agrees to it, and he's he's okay with it. He's okay with driving off at the, in the sunset after after all that. He goes and I like how the scenes juxtapose with one of the bastards playing uh, some Call of Duty video game, because that's kind of how this sequence plays out. It's very Call of Duty, Gears of War esque. It's got that first person kind of mentality with again John Wick's efficiency with a sniper rifle this time. Mm-hmm. He gets to strike the killing blow on um, on Yusuf, and again, he's kind of speaking to, he's like, it was just a fucking, and then boom, headshot, head like, kind of just an exclamation point on that, it wasn't just a dog, like, it meant more than that, and, and I like that, so the movie could have ended here, but we still got a few things to tie up, which, for Vigo, man, Willem Dafoe's gonna pay the price now, because he didn't do what he said he was gonna do, and this unspoken honor amongst assassins they he's got to pay for that so they they kill him Vigo, they, they kill him they beat him and vigo shoots him yeah willem defoe has a nice action bit in there where he sort of turns the tables for a minute mm-hmm. but not enough to get to, to get over on vigo and his men yeah that's a really interesting back and forth uh willem foe willem defoe plays injured pretty well in that yes uh what's his name is um marcus i think mm-hmm. one of the character's name is marcus mm-hmm. tied up beaten bloodied hanging on and he kind of turns the tables for a minute and then again to remind us just what a bad guy vigo is mm-hmm. he kills the guy that's been very loyal to john wick yeah his sidekick mm-hmm. or his his partner if you will for yeah. lack of a better term and it makes us hate him that much more exactly we also hate him because he's a coward insofar as he'll sell out his son. Mm-hmm. And then renege on his deal. And then renege on his deal. Mm-hmm. He, the, the guy's just a complete bastard. Yeah, so we need to see him pay now, too. So John was like ready to like drive back to his sterile existence. And then he swiftly turns the car around and tracks them down. And I, I have a hard time. So that, that other side henchman of theirs is the guy on those... Uh, the. Uh, those uh, he plays mayhem on those insurance commercials. Dean Winters. <laughs> I have a hard time taking him seriously. You know what I mean? Like I, I just associate him with that that commercial. Is that Allstate? Yeah, it's all, um, whatever. Yeah, it's sad. I don't even remember the company, but we all know like the mayhem. Is guy. it Progressive? No, that's Flow. Yeah, it's one of them. Um, and it's not Geico because that's the Gecko. No, yeah, it's one of them. And it's not State Farm because that's Dennis Haysbert. So I think it's I think it's Allstate. <laughs> um. They're, it's weird. It okay, is, it, totally unrelated. Yeah. The battle for insurance with those iconic characters that each one of them have. Yeah, J.K. Simmons too, right? Yeah, he's um, farmers. Good, good hands. Farmers. Yeah. Farmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty good to yeah, that. Yeah. To Allstate to uh, insurance yeah, competition. Aaron Rodgers is in one of those too. <laughs> yeah. Discount. Get discount. Double check. Okay, so I never thought we'd be talking about these type of things in the John Wick podcast. Well, you brought up Dean Winters, and it's exactly, he's so iconic as the guy that causes mayhem in your life. Yes. It's, for all the good casting in this movie, he's a mistake. Yeah. I, I don't know when the mayhem shtick started for whatever insurance company yeah. that is, if it was pre or post. It had to be pre. That's been going on for years. So this is 2014. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of think it's pre too, mm-hmm. but it's a distraction. Well, he's very, very cowardly. In this world of henchmen that they, they just go in at full force, not knowing if they're going to get killed or not. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Earlier, I brought up something which was simple idea executed well. Mm-hmm. So, again, this is still a movie about revenge. And we've talked 
ad nauseum about I'm going to make you pay for what you did. We've backed that up. Mm-hmm. But it's been delivered in such a cool way. Mm-hmm. How high concept John Wick is. So for everybody out there, mm-hmm. if you get a movie that is titled after the main character's name, it's gotta the be. movie's got to be a character mm-hmm. study. And I got to be honest with you, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. It's watching this guy make these people pay and work through the sorrow of his wife and the wrongs that they've committed against him. Yes. It is a character study. Mm-hmm. And as we get further and further into the revenge plot, yeah. we break down more and more the world that he was involved in, the people that were corresponding actors or players with him, mm-hmm. the rules that they live by. Yeah. And the execution in this film is so smart. Yeah. And here's something with without Yeah. Like looking it up, how long do you think this movie is, minute-wise? This is going to blow you away. It kind of seems like it's a two-hour type of film, but it's shorter than that. Yeah. 100 minutes. Yeah. That speaks to... It's a perfect length. Get in late. Get out early. Everything that Once Upon a Time didn't do is what this movie does in guarding pacing. But then also, that, that might be some of my qualms with... Parabellum as well as that's I think two fifteen two eleven runtime, it's a little longer of a journey with him. Whereas like this is very concise. Like you know what I mean? Yeah. He's got a very clear mission, and once he's gonna see that through, and then once we do, like we're out. You know what I mean? We'll talk about that in a couple weeks, but yeah. I don't think Parabellum and John Wick 2 were ever going to be movies until this movie did as well as it did. Well, let's talk about that real quick because oh, okay. very cheaply made for like, I think, 20-ish million. million. Gross 75, 80, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. But also, I think this was a film that like, I think you see the trailer and you're just like, ah, that's just another one, like, one of those like transporter action films. Like it, You kind of almost like sidestep it. Because of like, you don't know what it is. I think this was a film that was helped by good word of mouth. That people went to see it and said, no, there, there's like, Keanu's really badass in this film. It's actually a pretty good movie. Uh, and you don't get a lot of good like word of mouth type of films like very often. You know what I mean? Wasn't this a February release? Yeah, it was an odd month. Like. Okay, so look, mm-hmm. man. This goes to the other thing that we've been talking about is the seasons in film. Mm-hmm. For all of, like, I think what... John, look, I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag here. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I like this film. Yeah. For all of the brilliance that's John Wick, it's Keanu and his good naturedness, but it's also, let's be smart enough to take a guy who's a little quote unquote down on his luck or maybe not quite mm-hmm. B list yeah. anymore. Yeah. And see if we can't dominate with a solid, simple concept yeah. at a time with very little competition. Yeah. And you're going to kill. Just be good. Just like, don't be schlock. Be good in all of that, what you just said. You got a hit on your hands. Because I think that movie came out, and I remember seeing the trailer, and my wife loves action films. Mm-hmm. Like, as much as I love them, she loves them even more. Yeah. Which is cool for me. Yeah. So, I mean, we're probably going to go see Downton Abbey, but we'll also go see <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw, right? Man, so, I'll, God bless I'll her. pray for you during that day. Yeah. No, <laughs> you and me are going to go see something else when our significance goes see that one, okay. right? Okay. All right. Um... It came out, and I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. You no, you, yeah, you're sidestepping the kind of like, I'll catch that on Netflix type of feel. But here's what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked mm-hmm. 47 Ronin, and mm-hmm. I know I'm in the minority on that. Yeah. So I'm going to go support Keanu Reeves. Yeah. 
And I left that film and I was like, touchdown Jesus. And I think you did that. And I think you told me, like, you need to go check this out. So word of mouth. Bam. And then I went to go see it. And I was like, yeah, there's. And then I tell all my friends. And that's how cult followings start. But what? It, right. Yeah. What's strange about that? It started a cult following mm-hmm. in. I've often said in this podcast, I think you agree with me. The most loyal fan going base is the horror fan base. Oh, yeah. Not far from that is the second biggest one which would be mm-hmm. hyper masculine action film yeah and so now you take me who's a generation ish older than you mm-hmm. and everybody that is my age is going to go see john wick because we loved that kind of film and yeah. then i tell you and you go see it mm-hmm. and you create what's weird a cult following out of a really established strong loyal base yeah exactly and here's the thing not just because you want to do it to like throw the middle finger to Hollywood because the movie's really goddamn good. But then you also get yeah, my generation that grew up with uh, video games and that type of like first person shooter, which did like, you play I, Hitman? Hitman, Halo, Call of Duty, like it has that sentiment of this type of film. Like mm-hmm. like that scene in the club is like a level in a video game. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's the club level. So brilliant. I think it speaks to many different generations, but we get our uh, finale scene here. Okay. We get our final showdown between John and Vigo in a nice fisticuffs in the rain. It's a very beautifully shot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, Vigo gets a knife in, in, in him. Or John does something very interesting. He has him stab him with the knife so it's in his stomach. To take it out of his arsenal. Yeah, so it's, then he pulls it out of him to then use on Vigo. Like, so awesome. Yeah, like that's like maybe kill you, but at least you don't die in that moment. You know what he's going to do? He's going to contact John Rambo. Yes. And he's going to teach him how to pour gunpowder in that wound and light it on fire to cauterize it. What is that, Rambo 3 <laughs> in the cave? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. But then we get a, a parting shot here. Vigo's dealt the death blow, and he's going to die there on the side of the dock. And we get a line that's going to show up in all three films, which is... Um, be seeing you yeah mm-hmm. like this kind of like this isn't the last we're gonna see of you like I'll see you at some point in in assassin hell like they probably have their own section of hell <laughs> that they're all going to yes <laughs> so yeah we get that and then we get where we began the film and then he's kind of by this like pet shelter and we kind of get a nice moment where like I lost that I've def- I made my peace I've gotten my revenge I'm gonna pick out a new a new a new dog now and this is the most interesting part of the film for me in my viewing last night with my wife, who had never seen this, who had been like, yeah, John Wick. Yeah. And she, I asked her, I was like, did you like it? She's like, yeah, I liked it. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. She has the Keanu mindset of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. But she said, what happens in John Wick 2? And I, I kind of told her, and she said, well, the reason I said that is because his story seems pretty complete. And I, I kind of sat there for a little bit, and I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, obviously, there's a franchisability with this character and this world building that we're going to get into in the next two weeks. But at the same time, I'm like, you told the singular, cohesive, one off story. That's pretty good, too. And I think a lot of films don't have the restraint to kind of have it. The one I can think of, and I can't believe they never made a sequel to this, was the original Black Christmas slasher open-ended ending story that's yeah. a one-off well that's horror yeah and i kind of wonder i was like maybe that this could have been just a, and i like where they take the world building but at the same time if this was just one film i think we would still like it just as much 
Yeah, I think that's a strong position to assess the film from. It doesn't. If it's a one-off, yeah. I'm good with it. If it continues, I'm also happy. And I think that speaks to the filmmakers and the writer that they didn't have the need to set up a sequel in its final scenes. They told one good story, and let's just see where we get with that. Look, that is the most important thing. <laughs> just give me a complete story. Don't tease me out with enough of a story to entice me to number two. Yeah. Tom and Cruise it, mummy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's putting the cart before the horse. What, and, what could have been, and I pray every night. No, I don't. But mm-hmm. I hope every night that that happens someday. Because that dark universe could be really cool. But real quick, were they were But able, you and I need to run it. But Yeah, exactly. Were they Universal Pictures, are you listening? Make it happen. Exactly. But where they were smart and where they saw the sequel potential was in the universe that they established. It wasn't in the arc of the story because that's complete. It was in the potential of... What other stories can we see here? So to that, yeah. they created a franchise that monetized mm-hmm. that idea. In the second film, you get an expansion mm-hmm. of the Assassin's Guild world yes. mm-hmm. in a way that starts to make sense, but also mm-hmm. causes some more questions to arise. Whether it's, you know, you get the Lawrence Fishburne reemergence of that, which obviously ties you back to the Matrix, which I really like in number two, but we're what? getting ahead of ourselves, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I think... I don't disagree with anything that mm-hmm. you know she said. Yeah, it, it's it's good as a one-off. Yeah, I'm also happy if it continues. Yeah, it's just an interesting idea where you see a lot of action films or just films coming out in the summer of 19 or the summer of whatever that not only do we have to be a hit in the summer, but we got to set up the next trilogy. And I don't think this film had that idea at the at the beginning. In the next couple of weeks, you and I need to look into this. And what I want to do is I want to go back and look at the sleepy winds in February and March yeah. versus the oh, the summer onslaught of weekly slaughter. Yeah, yeah. and see like what if there – because I, I believe that there's a, a, a paradigm shift happening in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. that's you make one good movie – and you put it out in February, right after the Oscars, mm-hmm. you win for two months and basically you financed most of your budget for the rest of the year. You get to finance your other Oscar winners. And we're starting to see that. Mm-hmm. Marvel's number one movie of all time. Yeah. Domestic, or yeah, yeah. Is Black Panther. Yeah. February. And yeah. it, Endgame might have caught it and passed it, it, but it's number two. But that's pretty good for a singer, a singular solo hero we had never seen before. Especially when it's D-list Black Panther. In February. Like, Okay, so now do Ghost Rider and prove me right. No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it'll win yeah. as long as you don't make it shitty. Exactly. And here's what John Wick did. It's yeah. everything we talked about with the built-in cult sort of appeal to it. But it wins and it wins and it wins. And if you look at the numbers on that, because I did last night per week, it incre- it won the box office its opening week and it increased in volume the next three weeks. And that's hard to do. Impossible to okay, do. Okay, so I have the the date. It's actually so it wasn't February, but it was October. Same. Okay, so it's, prior to pre, the winter version yes, of that. Yes, which also another difficult month. But there's something there's something to that. But at the end of the day, with this film, and let's just kind of get into our ratings here. We have Rock Gut, uh, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. I'll go first, Matt. I, I let you go first all the time. I'll go first this okay, time. Okay. Uh, you know, we talked about some classic action films in our flight. Uh, I got to see how John Wick ages before I can like assess it like a totally like amazing rating. This is a single barrel action film. It's completely unique in the way it sets up its universe with its main character and a terrific performance by Keanu Reeves. I can't state that enough. 
we're not going to cheers him a fifth time, but maybe we will at the end for for old times' sake. <laughs> but it's a uh, you know it's a film that you know kind of leads us into our our next cask. But at the end of the day, I'm satisfied. I've seen him get his revenge for the killing of his dog. He has a new dog. He's killed people involved, and he's going to go back to his his existence with that. And at the end of the day, it's done a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'm happy at the end of the day and thoroughly surprised. I think this is one of those films that I don't know if I expected much, and I think I got a lot more from that viewing. So that's the gift of John Wick that keeps on giving. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. Okay, for me, this is top shelf minus single barrel plus. Mm-hmm. I probably am leaning closer towards the top shelf location in our distillery of films. Yeah. Here's why. Mm-hmm. This movie came out at a time when that type of protagonist was non-existent. We're talking, obviously, from... The flight questioner were hearkening back to an early 80s or mid 80s action sequence kind of movie. Mm -hmm. So they do that. And we're talking at a time when unless you're in a costume slash cape or you're Harry Potter or you're Katniss, there is no room for you in the action genre. Mm -hmm. And they took an original spec idea. Right, you just say not adapted. Yep. Not a stu- not a, a mm-hmm. novel like from the ground up. Let's create a screenplay as original idea mm-hmm. with a quote unquote has been seen better days actor. Yeah. And revitalize what is a purely monetizable and ultimately successful if delivered well for your fan base genre. And we talk about that all the time mm-hmm. on this podcast, which is I'm so tired of these company is not having the balls to try something brand new take a chance it it took and if you look at the producers and the production companies on this i don't know who the hell any of those companies are some in entertainment's kind of like beat list in hollywood right and that's the most recognizable with all of the foreign japanese entries that had hands in this movie and then if you consider what you told me and i didn't know which is the two directors were the guys that were the stunt coordinators for matrix Mm -hmm. How can that not celebrate yeah. everything that you and I beg for on a weekly basis oh, on yeah. this podcast? It's totally a win. And so I th- I'm actually gonna I'm gonna revise my own ranking. Okay. And per that mm-hmm. criteria, because now that we've sort of set levels in our our rankings, we have to adhere to those, which is kind of what you said at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like I have to bang on this movie a little bit because of the in sequence shown out of sequence. This has to be top shelf. Mm-hmm. Is this going to go down in the annals of quote unquote fine film filmmaking? No. Yeah. But I have yet to meet. I'm sure there's that guy or gal out there. Yeah. I've yet to meet the person that's like, oh, John Wick. I hate that movie. Yeah. I've never met that guy. Or if they do, you just have to kind of take a chance on it too and just kind of see for yourself. I think you'll be thoroughly surprised. I appreciate Keanu. I appreciate them having the balls to use Keanu. Mm-hmm. I appreciate them not being apologetic in the movie they were making yeah there didn't need we don't need to have a love element we don't need to have like it is what it is if you want violence if you want it delivered well but here's the thing Mm -hmm. i'm going to choreograph this so beautifully that you won't forget it and i think that increases in the next two films Mm -hmm. so there it is for me yeah i think uh i think also at the end of the day I, i this might be my favorite film in the franchise but just to something i speak of which is the simplicity of it all this is a very simple story of a guy just wanting to get revenge for 
killing the dog and stealing the car. And we get that from in that hundred minutes and where the sequels take it, you know, they expand on that world building, but I don't think it replaces the simplicity that this first film presents for me. Like they, 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 they struck kind of lightning in a bottle with this one. High conceptedness is something that is never going to go away. Mm -hmm. Here's what I love what you said though. Yeah. You caught lightning in a bottle, but here's the thing, Jesse, Mm -hmm. to catch lightning in a bottle, you got to get out in the rainstorm. Yeah. And most production companies in 2019 are afraid of the rain or they want an umbrella. And that umbrella is a built-in audience that's all the Marvel fanboys prior for the last 50 years. Or they don't want to even go outside because they've checked the Doppler and they're just like, I ain't doing that shit. There's a chance that this may (laughs) not make this. So let's just make another. And I love Marvel movies, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. I think, again, talking to the cast we did before this or before Tarantino, films that took a chance on original concepts that, again, we're having 35th anniversary DVDs of them because you took a chance. Let me get let me walk you through, in my mind, what's the pitch for this film. Okay. We have an idea. Hyper, hyper-masculent, violent, testosterone-ridden, cars, guns, action movie. Okay, who's going to direct it? Uh, two guys that were the stunt coordinators from The Matrix. Not the such and such, not Michael. No, 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 these other guys. Yeah. Mm. Well, who do you, you have anybody yet? Yeah, we're thinking Keanu Reeves. What? Pass, 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 pass. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. And, and uh, I'll, to, to, I'll, that, to, and the, I'll, to the I'll do it crew yeah. for John Wick, because yeah. it's really likely this movie never sees the light of day. And at the end of the day, with the, all these films that in this room that we're recording this in, there's peppered with films. Well, I'll also say, here's the pitch in that same room. Yeah. I've got a movie. Yeah. People start killing themselves when people don't know why. Like, they're just killing themselves. Exactly. Okay, so get to, what's the cause? Yeah. Plants. Yeah. Fuck you, happening. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck you, Shyamalan. You know what I mean? No, yeah, but like... That's the same room. All it's taken for any of these movies to be on these shelves is for one person to say, why not? Let's do it. To taking a chance. Exactly. So let's get right into the nightcap, kind of speaking on to Keanu Reeves and the chance they took on him to play this character. You know, I, maybe Taken was the first film with Liam Neeson that kind of took this like very oh, Taken, yeah, very auteur actor and kind of put him in a genre that we're like, what? Like Liam Neeson? And that, that kind of worked too. And, you know, there's been other films, but like Anna Keanu's really shown that in this franchise who's another actor post 50s matt who could do the same type of 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 thing well you asked me a doozy there so mm-hmm. i had an idea but i'm gonna maybe rethink that idea let me give it back to you yeah and on and all, all my entry i actually have two and they're kind of indispensable in their own film careers but when you think like action like a John Wick or a Taken or an Expendables or whatever, you just kind of don't consider these guys like – and I think they're kind of everyman again, like kind of like a John McClane. And maybe it speaks to just kind of why we like these actors, but I kind of think Kurt Russell fits that vein and Jeff Bridges. Like – you know, those are two guys that have like kind of made a career being cult film actors, the Jeff the Dude Lebowski, Jack Burton. But do we see them as the Schwarzenegger Stallone type? And I want to say no. And since they were never invited to be in any of the Expendables film, they didn't obviously fit that roster. So maybe there's something to kind of seeing them in a hard-hitting action yarn like a John Wick where we can see something like that. 
Yeah, my mind is spinning right now. Yeah. Um, you and Kurt Russell have a history that is notable for sure. So I, I, I love him too. Mm-hmm. I think those are two excellent selections. Um, you know, the vehicle that fits them is something, though, unique and specific mm-hmm. and new to them. Yeah. So much of the success or failure on these hinges on the idea of making sure that the vehicle that the action is delivered through mm-hmm. is uh, worthy of it. Yeah. So I'm going to give you two crazy ones. Okay. Okay. Yeah. For a long time, I have always contended that one of the more underrated and unused elements in all of Hollywood is William H. Macy. Mm. Now, I don't exactly see him as this badass, (laughs) knock-your-face-off, striking kind of guy, (laughs) which speaks to why he wouldn't be perfect for a spy movie. Did you see The Foreigner with Jackie Chan? No. I'm not a Jackie fan, Jackie Chan fan. Okay. Like, I find his stuff to be kind of comedic and silly, and it's a pass for me. Yeah. Dude, The Foreigner is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay? I would also give you another example that's kind of in that vein. Yeah. I'm going somewhere, so ride with me here. Okay. Jason Statham is somebody that I initially had chosen, and there's a lot of noise around Bond and what's going to come from Bond. Mm-hmm. I think we both agree that the most roguish version of Bonds that is... Um, accurate to the way Fleming wrote them mm-hmm. is the Timothy Dalton character. Yep. I think Jason Statham could pull that off. But me saying like 51-year-old Jason Statham is your next action star is a little bit on the nose. Yeah. I'm not saying William H. Macy could pull off Bond. Yeah. But I will give you another one, though, that's not Statham or William H. Macy that might be able to do it. Okay. What about Billy Crudup? Talk about like the career that like... Could be, been. yeah. Well, and the reason it didn't has to do with a domestic issue. Yeah. Derailed himself over some bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? <laughs> They've tried. Yeah. And when he's in stuff, mm-hmm. I, I, you can say whatever you want about Watchmen, but that movie isn't shitty because of him in that no, film. No, definitely. He might be one of the saving graces in that yeah. film. No, yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's a good one. Yeah. So... I, I think I'm cheating by giving you two, mm-hmm. but I'll give you every man, next door neighbor, barbecue guy. I kind of, I dig the William H. Macy one. Like, I like when it doesn't like compute in my brain and then they find a way to make it work on screen and you're just like Liam Neeson. That's the guy like the Liam Neeson effect. Right. That Irishman isn't going to be able to kick ass. Oh my God. Like, Especially because everybody saw Rob Roy and was like, that's awful. <laughs> like who would have ever no, thought to The film read? sucks. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and but yet, and this is Liam Neeson post Phantom Menace, Qui Gon Jinn. Like, what? Like, I don't even know what Liam Neeson. Was. This is pre Batman Begins. And like, aren't the first two Takens really good? Yeah. Okay, but again, same thing. Yeah. Simple idea. Very. I'm going to rescue that. That movie is about rescue. Yeah. Or family. And whoever gets in my way is going to pay the price. It's kind of the same thing as John Wick in a way. Oh, again, Matt. We've seen trailers and trailers past where we kind of say like. We've kind of coined the phrase now, like, that looks kind of a little John Wicky. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yes, like, we yes. see those elements at play and we're like, they got that actor. They're doing some crazy action shit. It's a little John Wicky. <laughs> right. Like, so that's kind of like in our vernacular now. But I like all those choices. I want to see, because those are all actors I kind of like that I, go kick ass. Like, I want to see you in more things. The Rock yeah. and Jason Statham have Hobbs and Shaw that's literally out this weekend. We went last night and yeah. saw it. Yeah. I got to tell you, the theater was mostly empty, but I was 
supremely entertained. And for everything that we've talked about this mm-hmm. year, yeah. at least that was an entertaining film. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rock is an obvious choice. I think he's 47. Yeah. So he doesn't meet the qualifications of post-50. But what you said, obvious. Right. Yeah. When, when it can be done well is when it's not obvious. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. So next week, we, we're going to continue on this yarn. We got John Wick Chapter 2. And we're going to continue on this train with our seminal character. Going to dive into more into the continental and this international world of assassins. I think maybe we'll see that Assassin's Trader Joe's in one of these films. (laughs) But until then, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. I got to get going. I got to go press dry uh, my three-piece suit. I got to get something, some blood out of it. I don't know where I got it from. I think I left my car at the meter and I got to fill the meter with a gold coin. Excellent. Excellent, everybody. Thank you for listening. Go hit us up on facebook and instagram go follow us go direct message us we'd love to engage with you read your comments on the air go leave us a review on apple Podcasts if you're liking the podcast and we'll see you next week everybody we appreciate you all so much all right everybody have a good weekend we'll see you in the dark thank you for listening to rye smile films follow us on facebook and instagram to stay in the know for future episodes And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, YouTube, and leave us an email at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. John Wick is property of Summit Entertainment, Thunder Road Pictures, 8711 Productions, MJW Films, and Deffy Knight Films, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time... Cheers. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. So you can either hand over your son, or you can die screaming alongside him.